very much like a robot. No second to waste. Even like simple things like going to the bathroom or like eating lunch was like challenging for me. Every hour needed to be hyper-productive because I was trying to be a corporate professional and trying to make a, be a professional in obstacle course racing. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. Still in such disbelief that I wasn't sitting in a desk. I remember like being on the trails and like I was just constantly had this like smile plastered on my face because I was like, is this real life? And that went on for so long, like year and a bit. And I still felt like, is this real life? And my motivation to train came from keeping this dream alive. I was working so hard. I did not want to go back to the corporate world. And I was going to do whatever it took not to go back. And I'm feeling good. That is Faye Stenning. I'm Andrew Connect. And this is the Unpretentious Podcast. Faye is a professional obstacle course racer in events like the Spartan Race, who has podium multiple times in both the USA Championship Series and Worlds. She has been the number one ranked pro athlete in the sport, and here's how it all got started. I was a bit, honestly, by fluke. Um, my uh, sort of ex-boyfriend at the time just kind of wanted to do one of these races for fun. Um, I had just like literally like hung up my running shoes and wasn't really running much at the time I was like pretty burnt out from college running so yeah so anyways we just kind of like jumped in this race mainly just for fun and it's just kind of like the typical sort of same story of my whole life like I can't do anything just for fun like I'm just so competitive so ended up like winning the race and um, yeah, he wanted to like, continue on and do these races just like weekend after weekend. So we kind of started traveling and it was just sort of a way to, to travel and to kind of see the world. We would just kind of like go to these races in the state and make kind of a fun trip out of it. We just would do like the Vegas race and just kind of all the classic places that we wanted to visit. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of, my name kind of got out there. I kind of beat some of the right people like Rose Wetzel and stuff like that, the star, big stars at the time. And uh, yeah, I was just kind of approached to be on the um, Reebok Pro team in uh, 2016. And then, yeah, just been, uh, that kind of was a snowball effect since, since that date, so. Right, so fill me in on that. Like it sounds, so you have a track background where it's like you're athletic, you've got like the endurance built up, but was your plan in college to be like a pro runner or what, what was kind of your career path at that point? Um, I think my plan to be like a professional runner was like, it was a plan, but it was at very, very young, like in high school. Um, I was quite good in high school. I had uh, some um, records in the 3000 meter event and was very, very good. Um, But then just as kind of I got into university, kind of having some challenges, like my body was changing and um, you know, just the whole like college university scene with like drinking and having a good time and things just started. I just sort of started to like slow down. And so like my dreams of going to the Olympics were kind of, kind of over. Like I had went, I think like, I don't know, like five years mm-hmm. of running and I had like struggled to get a personal best. I think I should, should I think I shaved off like three seconds mm-hmm. on my 3000 meter time over like the whole five years I was in university. So I was just kind of plateaued, and, and uh, then after university, I just was so frustrated with not seeing any results, and uh, that I just eventually just kind of called it quits. And calling it quits, what were you doing? I mean, finan- what were you doing as for a job? Um, I was personal training. So I, um, yeah, I was before, like, a professional obstacle course race, so I was, like, a personal trainer, and then I also... Um, I had I struggled to make money in personal training, so I actually decided to go um, back and do sort of more of a business certificate. And then I started working in supply chain management, so I was kind of working that typical office job. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't really training like I was. I, I, it was like I was sort of spastic my training regime. It was very much like I just didn't train for a bit, and then I just kind of would have these moments where I would just sort of almost have the urge to just sort of like hammer out something hard or I'd have the urge to kind of like get my skinny body back or I don't know. So then I randomly just slowly started to sort of miss pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I, that was kind of when this whole CrossFit movement was kind of happening. So I started doing like hit classes and, and stuff like that and swinging the kettlebell around for way too much and doing every, doing weight 
really, really fast and always trying to get, like, a metabolic effect out of, like, strength training. So I became kind of, like, obsessed with hit training. And um, naturally, I think that kind of, at that time, was good enough to do well in these Spartan races. Now it's, it's not so much. Like, now you can't get away with, like, doing some fun, like, CrossFit hit classes and still win these races. Now it has to be a lot more um, specific to, to running and, and to mm. endurance sport. But at that time, it was kind of doing the job, um, especially because I was primarily competing in Canada. Um, the competition wasn't quite wasn't quite there yet, so I kind of got away with it, just doing sort of general fitness. Gotcha. So you're working a nine to five job. You're looking for some outlet for this competitive fire that you have in you. You stumble across this Spartan race, and you win it. And what was like? What did you think about obstacle course racing after that first race that you'd won? Um, I was, I mean, I, it was so, it seemed so silly at the time. Like it seemed sort of cheese volley. And, uh, I was like, there's like no good athletes in this. Like, yeah, I won it. But like the real athletes like aren't doing a sport yet. The real athletes are like running track and like doing triathlons. So, I mean, I was happy that I won, but I wasn't really, it wasn't like I thought it was this amazing fit person winning these races i kind of just thought that everyone else was just not <laughs> so much athletic and it was just more of a fun weekend warrior thing um it wasn't until like i got competing in the state and some of the bigger races and it actually got started getting beaten that's mm. kind of what triggered my competitiveness because i was like oh okay um i'm obviously i mean i i had some races i was fifth place and people like Rose and Amelia Boone were beating me. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a legit sport. Um, I worked as hard as I could in that race. And I'm finishing five, ten minutes behind the leaders. Obviously, I've got some work to do. So I just kind of had to make a decision whether I was going to basically stop doing this or, or like, try and start winning these races. And I had not much going on at the time in terms of, um, a hobby really it was just kind of working and, and hanging out with my girlfriends and just kind of living for the weekends you know like just the mm-hmm. classic corporate world where you're just sort of working nine to five and then you go out for drinks after work and it's like repeat 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 so I was kind of just kind of burnt out of that lifestyle I thought I'd give this go um, but I had no idea it would turn into what it sort of turned into that still shocked me yeah so. and I'm still do you think that's part of like the like the competitive mentality that people just have to have to be the best where I think the common experience is if you find out you won something and you're really good at it I think the default state would want to be like this is important and I'm re-, like they'd want to make it a bigger thing where your reaction is the exact opposite like I won this doing nothing I don't even respect it yet until someone actually beats me do you think that's I mean do you think do you feel that's unique to yourself where it's like here you win something and in your eyes it actually makes it not as valuable until you actually see oh my goodness to truly compete at a higher level, I'm gonna have to step it up. Is that just part of your personality mix or why do you think you had that reaction to winning? Yeah, I mean, I just think it needs, I mean, it needs to be an event that it's worth winning kind of in a sense. Like, I mean, I could go and challenge all my friends this afternoon to like a one mile track race and I'd probably win, but hmm. like that doesn't really mean anything unless the level of competition is is there and at the time like this was just a little race like just sort of in somewhere in Canada and it wasn't the competition wasn't quite there yet it's not to say that I wasn't I wasn't happy to have won and of course sure. I was excited about that but I I just I I sometimes you need to be beat to realize how special that win is if that makes sense um, it's so much more valuable for me coming fourth place in a big race than winning a, like a smaller race that fourth place means so much more if there's if there's the competition is there and and if it's at that level so it's just sort of a different in, in tiers of racing yeah and I think that's that competitive mindset where a lot of people they're number one they, there's some people you know they're so ego driven their number one fear would be I don't want to lose I always want to be the best I'm going to stay in maybe a smaller market or not see how far I can go in order to Right, but for you, it, that you are seeking out a challenge, you are seeking for something to push you to this next level to truly bring out the best in you, and that that may be just part of like the the mindset you have to have to truly, you know, be the best at something is to 
crave that kind of like you said that competitive spirit but then also that that desire for a challenge yeah yeah exactly i think it's this desire to kind of to be your best and to be pushed to your absolute max and you can't be pushed to your absolute max if you're just always number one like that's just like impossible you'll think you're working your hardest and you Mm -hmm. think you're being being pushed but you will always have a little bit more in the tank and you only can really access that if you're chasing someone i think um so yeah yeah, and I'm curious to hear what that transition was like from nine to five to pro athlete. But what you just before that, what you just mentioned that you always have something left in the tank, like that's one of the things I was watching, like NBC Sports, where they're talking about, you know, you know, here's here's Faye Stenning, she's out running, she, you know, people always talk they can, you know, your your ability to redline, like you're pushing past pain, you you just grind it out, you start the race and give everything you have, like for an hour and a half. Even amongst other athletes, it seems like you're kind of known for having this fiery spirit that you just won't let up and you give everything you've got. Where do you think that drive comes from? Um, I, I think, and maybe this is like not the best way to race, and it definitely bites me at, in the ass a few times. But, like, I think, yeah, like there's a huge amount of um, determination and motivation that it takes to run a race like that. But, it's also just like requires like a lot of guts and, and sometimes a little bit of stupidity to be honest. Um, and I think that I've, I'm not like afraid of really hurting in a race and I'm not afraid of like going over my maximum threshold and kind of suffering for a bit because I've been like doing competitive running like for so, so long. And I've had those races where I've lost and I've had those races where my body's like shut down because I've gone out too mm. hard. And what I've learned from those races is it, it just sort of gives me this, um, it's not as scary as it may seem and that like you can go into a dark place and come up the other side. So I think that gives me a bit more gut to just like go out and sort of run a little bit of reckless, run a little bit more recklessly than other people mm-hmm. um, and sort of push that boundary because I've went over that boundary and I've seen that the other side is, is not as scary as some people may think mm. like some people think of, oh if i run this mile seven um at a seven minute mile pace instead of my what my coach says which is a seven fifteen, like i could really be paying mm. for that at mile eight and nine and, and yeah sure and that's what you know you call smart racing but there's something to be said about just just going for it and that's just kind of the way i like to race i'd rather go for it and get past at the finish line than not go for it and have juice at the end of the finish line um, because to me, the, the whole point of a race is to test yourself physically. And I think the only way you can do that is if you fully like empty the tank. And sometimes that's a bit of a risk. And I've definitely had races that um, I've not gone out too hard and, and paid for it. But I don't know. I just don't really know in any any other way to race. It's just kind of how style. I've been racing. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. All, yeah, and I mean, that kind of fits in with the, like, you are, you like a challenge and you are not going to accept someone else telling you what your limitations are. Like you are going to run until you know what it feels like to pass out or to not be able to run. And then you'll know how far you can go until you get there rather than just taking someone's word that your, your heart rate monitor means you need to quit at this point. It's like, let me find out. Exactly. And that's why the longest time, um, it was just only this year that I started wearing like, like, a thing on my wrist that like, you know, this tells me mileage and elevation and all that data because I just thought that was like silly. It was like, Oh, I don't, why am I going to let my watch dictate how many miles I do today? Or why am I going to let my watch dictate the pace or this or that? I'm just going to go until I just don't feel like going anymore. or I can't go anymore. And, um, yeah, but that's all great. And that's sort of my personality of, of racing and training. But, um, yeah, I've definitely had some sort of questionable, periods of exhaustion and um and sort of some sort of you know I'm not gonna say health issues but some sort of just just issues that have come from not putting restrictions on myself Mm. um so I'm sort of starting to sort of learn that maybe it's okay not to feel the need to physically test yourself every single day Mm -hmm. and sometimes just put a little bit of boundaries on yourself so it's a fine balance but um yeah I'm definitely a gutsy runner and um that's that's just running kind of as lame as it sounds like a bit of my art and i'm very curious about um where my limits are in it and so i kind of try and push them as much as i can and, and 
being a professional athlete, that's been the hardest part for me is, is holding back because hmm. as I'm getting paid to perform at certain races, I can't be just um, smashing myself on a random Wednesday run anymore. So mm. it's it changed the, it's really changed the, um, it's just sort of changed the way I, I run now that I do it professionally. And I think it's almost for the worst, to be honest, because mm. I miss those more creative, more like, um, yeah, more kind of creative and more just sort of random um, bouts of physical activity that I used to do. Everything <laughs> is needs to be so organized and, and uh, specific and purposeful now. And it, to be honest, it kind of drives me a little bit nuts, but that's the way it needs to be. I mean, you talk to any of the best yeah. athletes in the world, and, and that's, what, that's how they follow their training plan. So. so did you kind of get lucky? Because, I mean, for those who don't know obstacle course running, there's like, sometimes there's like 20 to 28 different like obstacles that are part of this race and they're they're exercising different muscle groups different sort of tasks and no one really has like a spelled out training plan for that so did you kind of fit in well in the fact that no one initially really had developed plans and you were able to just jump in and try whatever you wanted and then people would evaluate that and now it's become more formalized or was it always this set regime of here's what you do in order to be a good pro OCR athlete um, well, yeah, like it's not, it's, it's different than like, you know, marathon running that they've had, there's many, you can go online and find many programs and plans that are, um, you know, that top marathoners use and they're generally the same as other top marathoners. Um, but obstacle racing is just a side, such a dynamic sport, but, um, I think it has more, stru- I think it does have more structure in the way that you train for it than most people mm-hmm. let on. And I think that. I mean, I have a background in kinesiology, so, I mean, I, you can literally just break down the race. If you just break down the race into bare bones, it's very obvious of what you need to be good at. Like, mm. you just, like, oh, okay, so this was a three-hour race. Um, I was running for two hours and 40 minutes of that three hours, and I was doing obstacles for 20 minutes mm. of that three hours. Therefore, I should be running 90% of my training or eight percent of my training should be more of a running focus and the other 20 percent well what are the movements i'm doing while well, i'm climbing over walls and i'm pulling rope okay so your pull strike needs to be good and what are the work what are the exercises in the gym that work your pulling muscles so you know rows and lap pull downs and pull-ups so you just kind of got to break it apart and i think it's actually fairly simple um what's the complicated part of training for this sport is the season doesn't make any sense. Um, it just, just, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, we start championship series starts in March and then world championships is in October. So, <laughs> uh, how, how do you period periodize a program so that you can peak at all of these big races and then another peak at world mm. and then North American championship. That's the complicated part is periodized is periodizing. Um, um, how you're going to peak for a million of different races um, at different times of the year, and not only different times of the year, at a variety of different distances, from an hour to three hours for if you're doing the champ, Spartan Championship races, or if you're some, like some other people who are doing a mile race for 25 grand, and mm. then six months later you're running a 17-mile race for another 20 grand, well, how do, you, how do you be good at that? That's what the hard part is. I see. And it sounds like part of that's just because this is a new developing sport that's growing. And for those who may not even be aware of OCR, I mean, it is on, it's televised, there's pro athletes, but help them understand, like, how much time are you putting training in a week? Like, what's the competition level like? Are you dealing with contracts, endorsed? Like, what's kind of, what's kind of, what's an actual... What's it like to be a pro OCR athlete? I mean, people probably have questions pro athlete in general, but then this OCR is like a new wrinkle where it's like what, like you're saying, it's not, it's all over the place and what you're doing, different styles. So what, how would you help someone understand like what it is that you do and how hard it is actually to be competitive in this sport? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's very hard. Like it's getting harder and harder every year because the competition is getting like more people are attracted to the sport because I mean, people are starting to hear about the sport for one. And then for two, there's like decent prize money in these races, like next weekend, you know, it's North American championships. Like there's decent money, like 12 grand for first. Um, some of the races you get 20 grand, like there's, 
and then you get there's sponsors that are attracted to these races as well because um, they I don't I don't think they're on TV this year, but they have been on NBC Sports for the last three years, three or four years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, yeah, so you're kind of you're living kind of like this like rock star star lifestyle where you're on planes going from hotel rooms to hotel rooms, and it's very fun, and you have media interviews with all sorts of people. Um, but then when you're wherever you choose to live, like it can be a bit of like a, a lonely life in the sense that you're training for like, you know, six hours a day or whatever. Um, mm. and you have to usually by yourself because if you're at the top at kind of any sport, I mean, the only people that I would be able to train with are really the other girls that are leather, say five to seven other girls that are at my level in the world. And they're all scattered over the world. So it's not like you have a team, like you're playing a basketball game and you all get a meet mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. every day and you're doing a lot of stuff like by yourself. And it can, it can mm-hmm. be like very lonely. And if it wasn't for like the fun weekends when you're out racing with your friends and stuff, it, I think mm-hmm. it would be like very, very lonely. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, ton, it's a ton of work. I mean, we're I'm running as much as these, I'm in New York City, I'm running as much as the top. Um, marathon runners here in the city and then i'm also going to the gym and like trying to stay strong um so i can complete these obstacles and um yeah managing travels to like every other weekend mm. and it's just yeah it's, it's tiring but um i mean it, it's very very fun and it's, mm-hmm. i have a lot of freedom like um in terms of when i want to wake up and when i want to go to bed when i want to do these workouts i can move things around my family and friends like I like being able to um, have the flexibility that I can kind of have a life. Like I can, I can do things with my friends after they're off work because I can get my training in during the day and I can see my boyfriend on, you know, and I can, it's, it's not like I'm working a full-time job and doing this. So any mm-hmm. people that are doing that, I have like huge kudos to them because I'll be the first to say the moment that this stops making me money and I have to get a job, a full-time <laughs> job and train for this. I honestly just would, I just know that would be so, so hard and I probably won't, won't ever do that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, just cause OCR is new, like when I watch, you know, when I'm watching the clips and it's like, okay, here you are jumping through water, you're climbing over obstacles. One, it's like, oh, she's slipping, like you slipped with the bucket of rocks when you're going down this mountain, but you caught it. So you didn't spill it. All this, you're jumping over fire. All that stuff just looks like, oh, this is so fun. Like this looks just like a blast. And then like you're saying, I look at your running times and you just did 18.4 miles at a 637 pace training. And I think that helps at least the people who are runners realize like you are putting in, like you said, six hours a day. This is not, well, it may be this fun sport and it looks fun. You are putting serious effort into it. And it's like good luck anymore just entering in like you did your first race and winning it. Like that's just not going to happen at the high levels. Yeah, that's not you really, if you don't like running, a lot like you will never be a good obstacle course racer like Mm. i think that a lot of people think like oh ocr is like so fun it's like you know you go to the gym and you swing a kettlebell around and then you carry a bucket around your block and then you um i don't know pull a sled or like play on the monkey bars or (laughs) or do a few 400 meter repeats on the track like no 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 like we're that's not the case we're running like most of the top girls are running 10 plus miles every single day. So it's, it's not the races like, yeah, this part, they show like the fun little obstacles, the slip wall and all that stuff that looks like fun. Like, yeah, that is fun. But like there's miles and miles and miles of the, of in the woods and on the mountaintop that we're running to get to those obstacles. And that's where the work is, and that's where people are are spreading, are kind of creating a gap between the pros and then the mm. um, just sort of uh, um, open class heat. So um, yeah, it's it, it's tough. It's definitely a tough sport, that's for sure. Yeah, and I yeah, and that 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 just might be easy for people to have misconceptions where all they see, like you're saying, is the televised parts, which are the fun moments, or here's you crossing the line, and look how happy. And like you're saying, we don't get the full picture of like you're saying, having to wake up and put all this time training in and the fact that, you know, you've got so much riding on this where it, you know, it is a very intensive, physically demanding job that just so happens to look really fun when it's on TV, 
which is fun, but that's not all there is to it. No. And it's not to say that it isn't fun. Like, honestly, I'm so excited for the day that, like, I don't have to run these races as fast as I am physically capable of doing it. And I'm so excited to go out and just, like, just run the course and just mm. with friends. And, I mean, it's a great it's a great way to just on a fun on a weekend just to go check out a new state and just go explore and, and run in the woods and try and complete the obstacles and do it with a group of people like that's how the majority of people are doing these races and I think mm. that is so awesome and I, I sometimes wish I could do it like that because it seems a lot more fun but um yeah I, I'm in a position where I gotta kind of go all out on these what is your mindset like when you're racing um it changes like it it changes all the time um just kind of depends where I am like mentally in my I think that when you put your body through um like something as hard as like a endurance event um the way what ha- what goes on in your mind while you're running hard it, it it changes all the time and some days you're really good at handling the pain and other days you're not good at handling it and I find like a big correlation between how I'm doing in my personal life hmm. and that shows that really comes out when I'm kind of like in the suck in the middle of a race. Um, so if things are going like well personally for me and I, I'm in a really good place in my life and I'm running, I'm running out on the mountains. Like I feel kind of like, I feel like unstoppable and like I can, you can throw anything at me like, give me another, you can make the mile five miles, you can make the mountain, you know, five miles taller. You can make the sandbag 50 pounds heavier and I can kind of like handle anything and just sort of brush it off. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're going to have those days where like, you get thrown something that's sort of unexpected and for some reason you're just a little bit mentally not as strong that day and it it, it can like totally break you and there's mm. definitely moments in races where I've just been totally defeated and it definitely doesn't come down to um, training or being detrained or being not fit mm-hmm. it just really comes down to what's going on in your head and, and how bad do you want it and, and trying to find enjoyment in sort of this discomfort like if you can and I always say this but if you can be comfortable with the uncomfortable and just um know that these races are going to hurt and they're going to be hard but somehow kind of almost laugh about that or take Mm -hmm. it really lightly and not be afraid of it then you can do really really well but the moment you start over analyzing every bit of discomfort and you let it get to you and you stress about it you worry about it like you'll you're ne- you'll never be good. You have to have like a really, um, a really sort of a good relationship with with pain. You have to have a good pain tolerance, and you have to have an ability to just, um, yeah, be uncomfortable, but just be like it is what it is, and just sort of keep grinding on. And and some days I have that, and some days I don't. And um, um, yeah, you just always hope that you have that, that on race day, and uh, you don't really know until you're up on the mountain sort of faced with it if it's going to be your day or not. You're talked about the most when you win the race or when you're leading the race. So that's, at least for me, that's how a lot of my perception would form about like who you are. And it's like, here's this larger than life, like tough chick. Like look at her lifting these rocks. Look at her, like she's running strong. Like anything is possible. She's just crushing it. And then like you're kind of letting us in on like, actually, you know, there's some days it's not always feeling that way. And so what kind of, for someone who might perceive you that way or they're looking for struggles in their life, especially younger women who might look up to you, like what's kind of your message for like where you find, like you're saying you need to be in a mentally good place, but how do you get there? How do you find like the self-confidence or the worth or whatever it is that drives you to perform your best? Cause everyone else might look at you and think, what can't she do? But for you, it feels like, you know, it's this, it's a much different process. So, I mean, what would you kind of say to people just to help them, navigate life Um, I guess I think that I think it's sort of always like redefining what you like what success is so Mm. first of all I think you need to know like what it is that makes you happy um and trying to do whatever it takes to get to that and Mm. that doesn't necessarily like for me success like doesn't actually mean winning races it's something Mm. completely different and so um, success to me is like having a, a really happy and comfortable life and that's being in a good relationship and, and being able to support myself and do the things I want to do in this world, whether it's traveling or what. 
And so if you if you set yourself up um, so that you can you know that you can always kind of come back to mm. what your success is, and then whatever other things are going on around that, just not taking them too seriously. Like you know, not really taking those things in life that seem to occupy so much of your time, like your job mm-hmm. um, or there these races or training, like not overthinking those things. Because at the end of the day, they, all those, those, those are important and you spend a lot of time doing them. That's really not, not what life is all about. So just sort of not taking yourself too seriously and not, not letting your, your goals of whatever they are interfere with your happiness, I think is the mm-hmm. main thing. And the, the, the second that goals become your everything and mm-hmm. that your your actual life kind of starts to become shittier and shittier because you're so obsessed with whatever mm-hmm. tangible goals you set, I think that's a really bad place to be. So, um, yeah, just trying to keep everything in perspective. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just like a mud runner. And I always <laughs> like to remind myself that it's like kind of get over yourself, say like, yeah, you know, you can be in magazines and on TV, but like seriously, you're just a mud runner. And it's funny because the my girl my girlfriends are so amazing back home, and I, I honestly wish I had them kind of here in mm-hmm. New York to kind of keep me a little bit more grounded. Because I'm so happy when I'm around them because mm. they being with them makes like makes me realize like I'm the mud runner in the group. <laughs> like seriously, get over yourself, Faye. Don't worry about your race. Don't worry about your workout. Just, just worry about having fun and enjoying this life. So um, it's hard. It's hard to keep. You always. I, I would say, I guess, be around people that can keep you balanced is the most important thing. Um, and I have a lot of those people in my life. And the further away I get from them, because mm-hmm. I'm in various places for various reasons, um, the harder and the more unhappy I get. So um, yeah, find those people. Yeah, and I think I think that broader context of what that smile on your face really means when you're crossing that line. It's not just it's because you have these other parts of your life in order or you're working on them. It's th- it's that that allows you to keep mud running, just mud running. And of course, if it's just mun- mud running, you can have a fun time doing it and you can look that happy, but your happiness isn't solely coming from the fact you won this race. Where that might be yeah. a temptation for an out, you know, for someone from the outside to think, "I wish I was that happy." She must get it by being the best at this sport, and you're saying that's not actually how it works. Exactly. No, exactly. It's it's not how it works at all. Um, I've had some of my worst seasons have been the happiest parts of my year, and some of my best seasons, where I'm winning all these races, have been the most like depressing years of my life. So mm. they really don't have have much to do much to do with each other um so yeah just i think just trying to enjoy the sport and if you're lucky enough to be good at it well you better work hard to maintain that because there's a thousand (laughs) girls trying to get there too they're all coming for you they want to quit their nine to five jobs and have this be their full-time thing yeah well how i mean part of your job is i mean it's obviously the racing but then there is this aspect of i mean social media endorsement you know, like endorsements sponsorships i mean one what how do you navigate that and it seems like you very much like an ind- independent thinker you kind of you know you're figuring your life out and living it the way you want but how do you handle all that pressure where others like you're saying your friends are back in canada your world is now in new york or you're at a press conference and they all have expectations that they want you to live up to or to fit into how do you navigate that in terms of you do need to make money, you've got to play the game somewhat. How do you, what's that like to have to deal with? Um, I just, I think it's very similar to sort of anyone else, except mine's a bit more in the public eye, I would say. Like, I mean, I have girlfriends that are having to meet, um, you know, like targets in the corporate world and having to meet mm. certain budgets and having to, you know, grow businesses and, and have the pressures of that. Like I'm in New York city. Like there's a lot of people here with a lot of big stuff going on and, and there's high pressure everywhere. Mine's just different because it's, because everyone sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to see it because, well, that my, I, I have sponsors and I have to be on Instagram and I'm paid to, to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's what's hard is that everyone sees it, but I just try and remind myself like just because, 
just because my stuff is so visible, it, it's no different than anyone else's. I mean, it's no different than when my boyfriend comes home from work and the stuff that he was dealing with and the pressures he had at work. So mm-hmm. everyone has them, and this is just, I just got pressure to perform well, but everyone has pressures to perform well at their job. And if they don't have pressure, well, I, you know, pressure is a bit of a privilege to have it. Um, and if they don't usually have pressure, maybe they're not like at the, the a high level in their field. So I, I try and look at it that I'm lucky to have pressure. Mm-hmm. And um, mo- usually I'm pretty good at um, keeping it in check. And like, but every once in a while, yeah, I, I kind of break down and it, it does get to me. But I think that's very similar to everyone else. Yeah. And I just, I've, I've heard like a lot of people talking about, especially related to social media, where it's this there is this, you know, expectation to appear a certain way or they're not just in order to get fame or to get something, they're trying to be something they're not. And like you're saying, that's part of if they're looking to truly be happy, they're not going to find it by trying to live up to someone else's idea. You have to be on like honest, like social media can be so dishonest. And I just try and be honest in all my posts. Like everything is, is honest. I mean, it's just, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going through that day. Yada, yada, yada. Um, the moment I'm just, if some sponsor wants to come to me and pay me just like six figures <laughs> and then maybe, you know, I'll post right, something that's you. a little bit <laughs> slightly not as more kind of a white lie, I'll say I'm not going to be dishonest, but I might, you know, slide something in there that's not totally say, mm-hmm. but until that point comes, like anything I put on there is just me and we're not paid waste like so 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 much money mm-hmm. that you're going to sort of sell your soul um to, to look a certain way on on social media so yeah well that's what i appreciate like one of the one of the pictures you had on there like talking about your coaching website was you like it was hard to describe but you know it was an awkward photo where your hands were going for these rings but it just looked like a almost like a t-rex with your arms being really short and you're like if you don't want to look like me sign up for my coaching i was like oh that's good stuff so i do <laughs> well i do appreciate that that honesty and i think that's something a lot of people are struggling to realize they can be themselves and put that out there and still get like, you know, a positive reception or if they don't, it's like, what's it really matter anyways? Yeah. I think that there's more like, like there's more like who wore it better, like Photoshopped or there's so many people like that on Instagram. Like you can look up like, you know, anything and find like a really attractive girl on Instagram that's like Photoshopped or you can find, someone like pushing products that's maybe a bit fake and phony like there's so much volume of that to begin with there's not that much of people being honest and real so maybe just try and like balance out the instagram messages and just kind of post something that's just a little bit more kind of real world and and real life and i think that you become more relatable if you do that and you'll have people that actually want to follow you because they might wake up in the morning and they're having a tough day, but they actually can read something that they're like, Hey, that's exactly like my situation today. And yeah, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to learn from that post and, and, and what that person says to get through the day. Cause that's actually very similar to my day instead of like all these like random pictures of like, you know, people that make money, like, I don't know, drinking protein mm-hmm. shakes on the beach in Malibu because they're <laughs> jacked and tanned. Like that's right. not relatable to anyone except for that small population of jack tan people who get paid to drink protein shakes. So I just try and keep it real to just sort of help out the most people that I can. Um, and just for my own, um, it's kind of like Instagram's kind of become like a bit of like a diary for me, as lame <laughs> as that sounds. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I kind of like to look back on it in a few years from now. And it's kind of just like a story of my life. It's like, you know, oh, that's when you were out with your girlfriends at that fun restaurant when you guys were in Seattle. Or the, and then like, oh, yeah, that's when you sort of like shit the bed at that race because you were whatever was going on. And it's right. kind of fun to look back at those things. It'd be really boring to just look back and just see a bunch, bunch of pictures of me like mm. smiling and being all happy all the time. So, But kind of walk me through like the career progression of, I mean, one, how did you walk away from your nine to five job? And then what has it been like? Is there like seasons of being an athlete where... I'm just curious what that's been like. Did you lose, did you love the sport and then you kind of lose that and then it becomes a job and then you regain it? Like what's kind of your career progression as an athlete been like? And then how'd you make that big jump from nine to five to all you're doing as being an athlete? Like I was doing this sport 
um, before when I wasn't like a pro at it, I was working nine to five and then I would train. Um, I was lucky enough, my bosses, like I always asked if I could take a longer lunch break. So I would train actually on my lunch breaks. Um, and sometimes I would commute to and from work by running just to get some extra <laughs> miles in. Um, so I was, it was, I was very much like a robot. Like it was like, I had like no second to waste, like even like fitting in simple things like going to the bathroom or like eating lunch was like challenging for me because I was <laughs> every hour needed to be hyper productive because I was trying to be a corporate professional and trying to make a, be a professional in obstacle course racing. And I'm just so lucky that that um, phase of my life didn't last very long before I was picked up on the pro team because mm-hmm. if that lasted more and more years as years went on, I probably might have given up because it was so exhausting. Um, and then so when I got signed and I didn't have to work, you kind of go through, um, like I decided to leave my job. Just It was a, it was a financial risk at first, um, but I had some contracts that were kind of pending and I kind of tallied all the numbers up and I just like to remember showing the contracts to like my parents and being like punching the numbers. And it was just, they kind of gave me the AOK um, mm. that, you know, this isn't so much of a risk. Like you can feed yourself. You've got money saved from my other job. So I was able to just sort of make a, a good transition that, that um, wasn't that stressful because I had set myself up to be able to leave work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is like such an important lesson um, is, if you're gonna take, if you're gonna do something you love, like, don't be so dumb about it. Like, set yourself up so you can go chase that dream without a bunch of stress. Um, and that's basically what I had. I had money in the bank, and I had this ability to chase this dream. And um, I, I went after, it and I went after it hard. And I felt so lucky every day to not be in an office that um, going out and training was so fun because I was like still in such disbelief that I wasn't sitting in a desk mm-hmm. and so like I remember like being on the trails and like running or even just a boring run around the river by my place like I was just constantly had this like smile plastered on my face because I was like is this real life and that went on for so long like I mean uh-huh. it wasn't just like a few weeks or a few months it's like a good year and a bit and I still felt like is this real life and that my motivation to train came from um, keeping this dream alive. Like I was working so hard because I did not want to go back to the corporate world and I was going to do whatever it took not to go back there. Um, and that motivated me for a while. And like, to be honest, like it's not that I don't feel lucky now, but um, things get stressful. Like things like, then you get sponsors and they get the sports gotten more competitive and not easy just to win anymore. And you've got people checking up on you and you've got, like fans and you've got yeah other third-party sponsors and and you've got to move you've I've changed locations to live so I'm it's easier for me to have access to get to certain races so I'm not like internationally traveling every week and I go on training camps and I'm away from family and I'm away from friends and so it's not that I don't feel lucky but it it's this this lifestyle now it has more of a real component to it because I'm actually making real money on it and I have mm-hmm. real stress. Mm. So now instead of it being just this hobby that I'm making money at, it's a really, it's a job that I'm making money at, but it's a really, 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 really fun, exciting, <laughs> best job I could ever think of. I wouldn't want any other job, job other than this, but it's still a job. And, um, and I'm lucky to have this job, but it still has, is just as much pressure as other people's jobs. I mean, obviously you have to keep like a main focus on your personal times and how you are training yourself, but are you starting to like mentor younger people or coach others, or is there other aspects you're starting to add in to kind of refine some of that simple joy that is just how fun it is to be out running? Yeah, I think like I'm definitely trying to um, not just be this, professional athlete who gets up every morning and like trains and and races um because that's like a very that's an amazing job but it's also just very sort of selfish and you kind of wake up every morning like thinking about yourself and your training and your next races and I kind of just felt like I was missing something in my life and I also felt like it was too much of a risk 
just to kind of just focus on um, training and racing. Um, and I was getting a lot of messages from people wanting help. Hmm. So uh, my, myself and my business partner, Jessica O'Connell, we just started an online coaching business. We thought, hey, you know, this is a way that we can transition. When we're done racing, we can transition and, and just start helping people get, hopefully maybe one day get to the same level we got to. And this is a way for us to kind of still be involved in the community that's a little bit different than racing. And the best part is this is a way that we can talk to people about their races and what went wrong on their races and, and how they shit the bed and how they overcame obstacles and how their training is going instead of it all being like about us. And it sounds like it would be amazing everything to be the face show, but it, it kind of has been my whole life. I've been the athlete in the family and it's a lot of pressure and it, and it gets old. And I think I was just craving just something different. Like I just wanted to, I wanted to listen to other people's problems. I was sick of talking about myself <laughs> and my next race. Like it just mm-hmm. became so old. It was like, I, like if my sister asked me one more time, how am I feeling going into X race? <laughs> I'm going to pull my hair out. So it's been so fun transitioning that focus into other people. And I'm so shocked that I've enjoyed it as much as I have because I wouldn't call myself a selfish person, but I, I would say that I'm I'm not like sometimes you know I have that kind of you can always have that attitude, especially as a professional athlete. That's kind of just like you know you just you just kind of always just want to really focus on yourself because you're so driven and you're so mm-hmm. single-minded and and I I've always been like that, but it's been it's been interesting sort of seeing me evolve into a bit more of a person who kind of yeah, like to, like to chat with people and talk about them and help people and, and, uh, and work with others, not just by myself. Um, so it's been fun. Saying working with others, are you just dealing only with like other pro OCR athletes or people aspiring to do that? Or what's, I mean, who are you working with? Um, yeah, we take like, we take any clients that want to, I mean, I think that are only like I guess prerequisites to being uh, under our coaching business is you have to like want to get better and you have to like, um, yeah, you just have to want to get better. And it doesn't matter if that's being a 5k race or if that's running a two, like running the ultra beast or whether that's training for Western States. Like we have a bunch of athletes from a variety of different things and even some that aren't traditional athletes. But I think if you're, if you're going to the gym for, any sort of benefit whether it's physical mental spiritual like you're still are you're still an athlete you just have different you just have a different event and sometimes that event is even just performing better in life um so we we take a variety of different people but naturally just because of um like i guess who i am it's been Mm -hmm. mostly obstacle course racers yeah well i think that's awesome that you're helping people not doing that like you're saying it's just literally you're having fun helping someone else get better at something and remembering probably your struggles you went through to get better and actually being able to tell them what you'd wish you'd heard yeah and a lot of times it's like so funny because um jessica um and me are on the phone with our clients and i'm like oh it's like we always have these stories like jessica always will use like me as an example and (laughs) I'll use myself as an example. And it's always an example of what not, not to, to do. do. <laughs> it's never an example of what to do. So um, if anyone doesn't know who Jessica is, she's like an Olympic um, 5,000 meter runner. Um, she ran a 1506 is her mm. PB in the 5,000. So she's smoking fast. And so it's really interesting because whenever we tell stories about what not to do, it's always a story that has to do with me. And then whenever we tell a success story about what <laughs> to do as a smart athlete, it's always about Jessica, the Olympian. And so it, it becomes very evident that, you know, to, to, to make it at the, such a, a high level, like such as the Olympics, you've got to be doing a lot of stuff right. Um, and we want to share what we did right and what we did wrong with, um, with our athletes and with our clients. So it's been a lot of fun kind of like this social aspect you've kind of mentioned that you know, like your friend that you're coaching with and then starting off what you enjoyed was just traveling around help I mean help me understand I mean sports especially for someone like yourself who I mean you're competitive how do you if you're trying to beat someone how is that like a social thing for you like 
Oh, it's so social. Because you only beat the person at the finish line. The rest of the race, you're really working with your competitors. I know it sounds so crazy to think that, like, but you're competing against them. How are you working with them? But in a race, it is so, it is such a, everyone's just trying to, you know, you're running harder for the person that's chasing you so that you can pull them along and that they can run harder and that you can um, kind of gap the other girls. Like you're feeding off each other's paces. You're, you're even just having, hearing them breathing in the race is like helping you. Like it's, it, it's, it doesn't become um, a huge, huge, huge competition. I think until the later, like last mile, of the race or, later in the race hmm. um and then that's where you beat the person or, or lose to the person but it is it's so it's such a it's such a neat feeling like being in the being in that level of discomfort for a very long time with a group of girls weekend mm-hmm. after weekend after weekend and i don't think we would make it through these races hmm. if it wasn't from the help that we kind of feel from each other as we're both out there pushing together. So it, it's quite, it, it is very social. And of course, like, I mean, I love, I, I mean, I think that people need to do it more, but I always feel like I'm the one like trying to set up parties and stuff after these races. And, uh, um, and yeah, trying to set up social parties after these races. And there's lots of that stuff that goes on, which is like my favorite part. Like sometimes I have to like control myself. <laughs> leading up to a race because it's like I'm so focused on sometimes the after party <laughs> and I'm like okay get to the race first day but like I'm already like trying to like plan like who are we going to invite to the after party um, where's, where's the alcohol store where are we going to buy some drinks like should we get to pick up some chips some hot dogs like what like where should we have this like is our Airbnb big enough to host this many people like so that's like so that's the most important part for me which, <laughs> I know maybe my sponsors don't like to hear that, but uh, it's just the truth. <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah, I would not. I would not have like you're saying. There's the one part of you that you are like you're pushing through pain. It's like I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable, but it sounds like you kind of do both sides of the spectrum well. Where once you once you're done. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that is fun. Hey, good way to find balance, I guess. <laughs> Go to both extremes, and it ends up being in the middle. Yeah. Exactly. It's a new day, it's a new life for me. To hear more stories like Faze, subscribe to Unpretentious Podcast on SoundCloud, Instagram, and iTunes.